Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 7, Family Matters. Let's get this show on the road. we start today, we would like to say a huge, huge thank you to one of our listeners and patrons. Meryl bought one of our glow-in-the-dark Impala pins and gave it to Jensen Ackles during the New Jersey convention. We know it'll have been a few weeks once this episode airs, but for us right now, like this just happened yesterday and we are still freaking out. Thank you, Meryl, for giving Jensen something that we made. I still can't believe it. He physically owns an object, presumably carried it home and put it somewhere in his home and might see it on a regular basis that you and I had a hand in creating and has my name on it. Honestly, thank you so much, Meryl, for doing this for us. Like, (laughs) this is not something that I thought would ever happen at all. Nor did the other people in the elevator when I started screaming think either. If you want to own something that Jensen also owns, our pins are on our Etsy and you can get them on carryingwayward.com. Moving on to the episode. Ask the question. Was it worth the wait? I didn't think it would be and in the moment was very torn. But you know what? Upon reflection, yes. (laughs) You know what? You know what really tipped me over the edge was something you said today on Twitter, actually. What was it? Soulless Sam. You defined a character. And I think that did something in my mind of this is not Sam. This is a version of Sam. Like I'm literally thinking of, I mean, how many cartoons have done the episode where the main character gets split into multiple parts and it's the happy one, the sad one, the serious one, the angry one, and like the all the emotions in different bodies and they're usually color coded for a reason. But like this to me is literally like, oh, this isn't Sam. This is an aspect of Sam And we're now trying to get the real full Sam back by completing all the pieces. I don't think it forgives everything Sam's been up to this point, but at least I can now empathize with him as a character. It certainly explains a lot of stuff, I think. And I find that your language around like the fragments of Sam to be particularly interesting. So we'll see how like this develops, but I'm just so happy that like, we can finally talk about Soulless Sam because like there's just so much to talk about and we're going to get a little bit more of him. A little bit, a lot, I don't know. Uh, But we are going to get more of him this season. Can we also discuss the fact that I apparently also predicted Crowley would take over Hell? Yes, absolutely. I feel like most of my predictions this season were kind of like half-baked jokes, like just like without any reason, just like this is a thing that could happen that makes no sense. Apparently I'm batting pretty well here. Baseball metaphor. All right, let's baseball with the recap. (laughs) Count me down. Three, two, one, go. Dean and Sam are getting back into the case. They're going after this head vampire that Samuel seems to have a buzz on. And, you know, Dean is still like, I don't trust you, Sam. And throughout the episode, really just sort of isn't okay with it. And then they sneak up and they figure out that Samuel's clearly lying. And Sam is continuing to lie because they've actually been kidnapping these monsters. And it turns out they 
caught this head vampire because they want to find out where Purgatory is for some reason. And then, surprise, it's not because Samuel cares, it's because his boss Crowley cares, because Crowley's the new king of hell. We find out Sam has no soul, thanks to Cass, who's a doctor apparently now, <laughs> Dr. Cass. And Crowley is controlling Samuel, and Samuel still has a soul, and they're trying to find Purgatory, and... Dean is just very lost in this whole thing and doesn't know who to trust anymore. And Samuel's all like, I might be Crowley's bitch, but I'm still going to do my job and I'll see you guys later. Bye. Time? This episode gives us so much information and so much like character study. I find that a lot of it doesn't really land with me and we're going to talk about that. I really like those episodes where like, quote unquote, nothing happens for the plot, but like we just get to know a little bit more about like the characters and what's going on. However, I will give it one thing. And I feel like I, while I agree with you generally, like these episodes can be really well done, but it always kind of makes you like, you have to sacrifice one to fit the other into the time slot of like, here we get a lot of questions answered. We get to develop some characters. We get to really push the plot into the next. Like, I, I feel like this is truly like the middle arc. We've now, we've now hit the peak and we're going to go into our big seasonal adventure uh, with some obvious fillers and breaks, I assume. But at least if you're going to do that, give us, like, the coolest monster ever? Is the head vampire not, like, fucking awesome? So the episode starts with Cass performing a soul check on Sam, and we finally find out what's been wrong with him uh, since the beginning of the season, right? Like, he doesn't have a soul. So from now on, we can refer to Sam as Soulless Sam, like you mentioned, because this is how the fandom usually refers to him. I'm, again, speculation. This will not last the whole season. I'm assuming we will get his soul back by the end of the season. But, like, the fact that there is a, like, variant of Sam that is, like, roughly a season-length long character that I had no idea about, I think, to me, says so much about, like, how much the show can still surprise me. And at the same time, the Chekhov's gun of cast checking Sam's soul, like, watching that scene, I was talking to myself going, like, Oh my god, he's gonna do the soul check and figure out what's wrong with him. And then the second he starts doing it, I'm like, and there's not gonna be one. Son of a like it's like it clicked perfectly. So not only does Sam not have a soul, but his soul is probably still in the cage with Lucifer and Michael. So still getting tortured, and Cass is like, yeah, I don't think getting him out is possible. I kind of understand the angle he's coming from if getting a soul out of the cage was that easy then it wouldn't have required breaking 66 seals and literally turning sam into a blood chugging monster to get lucifer out well the result of that anyway is that dean is now stuck with the soulless guy as sam puts it which is going to open up so many good storytelling opportunities having dean know what's happening I think is going to allow for both some really good storytelling about like free will and choice and stuff, but also I see comedy in Sam's future. I, I see this being used to their advantage for like Sam not understanding jokes moments. I feel like him and Cass are going to get along better. Well, I mean, we get a little taste of that in this episode already. During the raid, uh, Dean realizes that he's already seen this house and that it was while he was a vampire under the psychic control of the Alpha. Which I think was a really like nice touch, honestly, like having kind of those flashbacks intercut in like was a really well done piece. And like the little things of him like recognizing where they were and even recognizing like 
you know, the like when he sees them take him the, the alpha away with the hood on, he recognizes the fingernails, like those little details was like. One thing that I sort of noticed actually in this episode is how many, how many episodes of season six, like that very beginning anyway, from 601 to now, 607, like how well they work together and how well thought out they are. Like you could tell that they were going in, that the writing team was going in with a vision and that, you know, they were planning for a lot of things to happen. And and I kind of love that because it usually means that we're going to get a season that makes a lot of sense. So we'll have to see it if it sort of like materializes or not. Yeah, like I feel like they're they're teeing up for a really good story. Unfortunately, we have seen the writing team behind Supernatural set up really well and not come through the best. But we've also seen some really great storytelling, so it really does like, I'm hopeful, but I'm understandably skeptical. Very on theme. So when Dean realizes that Sam and Samuel are lying to him, he pulls the car over and gets out to yell at Sam, which is something that we've seen Sam do with John in season one. And I'm honestly not drawing any parallel here other than like Winchesters will be Winchesters. Yeah, there was a really weird vibe to that scene. Like it really had me like I had a moment of like, why does this feel so out of place? And I think that's what it is. It's the only other time I could really picture the car like stopping that way, like diagonally across the street to be yelled at was when Sam did it. And again, like I love Sam's reaction to the scene, too, is just so dry. It's it's it starts the comedy a little bit. So when Sam asks the alpha vamp who made him, he replies, we all have our mothers foreshadowing perhaps (laughs) this show has a tendency to play its cards early so i imagine we will meet the mother soon if they hold out even a little bit and make it like season seven's villain and like give us a season before we meet it even better this is another time when a creature is remarking on how odd sam is once the soulless thing is revealed, apparently everyone can just tell he has no soul. Like, it's not a secret anymore. I know. That's really funny. It's like, oh, wow. How lucky that, you know, you only found out or like that you're only encountering these beings now and not like before, you know? Anyway, we find out that monsters go to purgatory after they die. Here we go. Just inventing some lore. That is a question I didn't know I needed to answer, but now I'm glad I have an answer to because I would have been really pissed if I had not gotten this answer right away. There you go. And now you know. Once again, Dean was right. Literally seconds after he tells Samuel that, quote unquote, putting jaws in a fishbowl wasn't going to end well, the alpha vamp literally gets free and starts killing immediately. This show in a, in a nutshell, the like, this is a terrible idea. We shouldn't do it. Something can go wrong. Something goes wrong. And this is another instance of like people not listening to Dean, you know, like just doing as they wish, as they think is right. And then Dean was right in the end. But anyway, we find out that Crowley, like you said, who is now the king of hell, pulled Sam out of hell. And if I understand correctly, Samuel out of heaven. I I felt was kind of weirdly ambiguous, but I'm very confident that is what we get to, which then raises the question of, I mean, obviously, yes, he's now the king of hell. He has magical, better, stronger powers. But like, is that a limitation because of the cage and Sam's soul? And that's why Samuel still has his or? We don't know yet. We don't really know what happens with that. Crowley wants to find Purgatory. And he's basically been keeping Samuel around specifically to help him find Alphas, who he thinks anyway can tell him where that entrance to Purgatory is. 
I'm full of questions, but all the kind where I'm like, we're going to find out. Like, none of it is like, ooh, big, long mystery. It's like, we're going to learn why he wants purgatory. We're going to learn what makes it so special. We're going to learn why the alphas or whatever, why there is an entrance anyways. Like, that's not bothering me, but I'm excited to get there. I wonder if Crowley has checked, like, the wet pipe factories in Van Nuys. (laughs) (laughs) The steam factories. Crowley basically tells the brother that they don't, if they don't do what he says, he's going to send Sam back, which, oh my God, oh my God, the metaphysics are hurting my brain because, like, his soul is already in hell, right? So if soulless Sam dies, technically his soul is already elsewhere. He can't go back to somewhere he already is. This is why physics should be left to physicists and not TV writers. <laughs> we could speculate on this one for hours and have a lot of fun, but um, yeah, let's not put anyone through that. Let's put him through story time instead. Our theme this week is skepticism, and you will never guess what. It's a word with a Greek root. Kel shock. I know, right? Finally, like the root of the word is skepsis, which means inquiring or reflective. And just like Latin words are often related to Christianity, because it comes from a Greek word, it's actually related to philosophy. So skepticism is a branch of philosophy that asserts that There are very few things that we can actually prove with absolute certainty and that we should suspend judgment until we can have a full body of proof. The word was also used in Latin where, unsurprisingly, it referenced like the act of doubting the principles of the Christian religion. And today it means like entertaining doubt, mistrust, or or not disbelief, but misbelief. And I just find it interesting that like skepticism was originally about asking like, are we really sure about that? And that now it means like just outright not trusting someone. Like you say that of like the outright not trusting someone versus like asking, are we really sure? And it just feels like two sides of a sliding scale. Like how skeptical are you? There's a spectrum there. Like, you can be slightly skeptical, like, are we sure? Or you can be very skeptical, like, I'm pretty sure that's not right. Like, I've definitely found myself in scenarios where I'm skeptical of something, but there's the skeptical, but hey, let's try it anyways. And then the skeptical, I'm leaving before we all get killed. Let's get to our, our brothers. I really love how Dean is so skeptical of everything. And like, generally, but like, let's today specifically. And like, again, today especially is proven to be right about almost everything he's skeptical of. And it just feels like a solid win for him, finally, despite everything else that happens in this week's episode. For the entire run of the show, if there is one thing Dean has been really good at, again, with very minor exceptions, it's he's very intuitive. And I think the intuition comes from being able to be understandably skeptical of things, It's clear that he has his doubts about everyone, even Sam, even after proving that he's a liar again. And it turns out everyone was hiding something and more than what we thought. Like, even when someone's revealed to be lying, it's almost like multiple layers of it. Again, just proving how right Dean was to be skeptical. And I think that kind of sets up the entire, like, theme for this episode more than anything else. I think everyone else kind of falls into, like, a range of skepticalness. And being for Dean to be skeptical of, 
that kind of just branches into every other character. Sorry, there's just so much to unpack here. Like, first off, I think that Dean proves to us once again that like, and even though that plot line is over, that he is and, and forever will be the righteous man, right? Like he is right about everything that he predicts in this episode. But what I find interesting about this though, is that this season, like up until now, has basically showed us Dean as not really trusting his instinct, right? Because he's not like entirely present and he's not really thinking about like hunting. He's also like thinking about Lisa and Ben. Like there's just so much going on for him. Like there's comments about how like Sam is the better hunter because he's rusty. Now that Lisa and Ben are no longer a part of his life, like he is back. And what we see today is really Dean at his sharpest. Up until now in this season, it's really felt like Dean has been like, I think Rusty's the perfect term. Like while his brains never like stopped, he hasn't been functionally doing things. Th- though he's been Rusty and like, I think a lot of that comes from doubting himself. And suddenly his doubts have shifted from himself to everyone around him, rightfully freaking so. And suddenly, because I, it's almost like the joke almost to me is that like, there's not enough room in his brain to doubt himself and everybody else. So once he had to shift his doubt to everybody else, his confidence reemerged and suddenly he's like, oh, right, I'm really freaking good at this. It's like he needed to be reminded of who he is, you know, like, and I just, I appreciate that. I think that I agree that Dean is skeptical of pretty much everything and everyone else in this episode. And like, we talked about it, like he has every reason to be, and he's right I also feel like Dean this season has been like bamboozled quite a bit, right? Like his first encounter with the supernatural in 601 was with Jins, who made him have visions uh, and not trust his own perceptions. Then he finds out that Sam got out of hell and never told him. And then he finds out that Bobby knew and didn't tell him. And then Sam is acting all weird. And then Samuel is also acting all weird. And then he gets transformed into a vampire. Like, I feel like my trust would also be at an all-time low here. His view of family, especially coming out of season five, where he really kind of solidified like his found family of Cass, Bobby, and Sam, to then be put in a scenario where like every single one of them has basically turned on him in some way. And while I don't think skepticism for Cass is an issue, I think there's a different disconnect there, but everyone else, I think it's like a level of doubt and like mistrust. And to narrow our focus a little bit here, you know, Dean always had trust issues. And this episode just shows us that among everyone he wants to trust or might have thought he could, the only one this week that he could trust was Cass. Like Cass is the only one to not outright be lying to him this season. The issue lies elsewhere with Cass. But I think that what's really important is that up until this point, like Cass has not betrayed Dean, right? Like, he can have, Dean can actually trust Cass, you know, not to be cheesy or anything, but it sort of feels like this beacon of stability in like this ocean of, of like instability. I'm not great at metaphors sometimes, but um, it basically Cass, I was going to say Sam, but Cass is really the person that Dean feels like he can really trust this season. Like the only one really. I'm very excited to see how the dynamic shifts now with very specifically Cass and Sam. Now that Sam 
has this whole soulless thing going on and kind of has this very dry personality <laughs> happening more than usual. And I can see him and Cass getting into some fun conversations. But to focus on Sam for a minute now, it's hard to be skeptical of somebody when you have no instinct. You know, suddenly he's a creature of being very literal, which is something we've only ever really seen from Cass, even though Cass seemed to have a bit more emotional intelligence than Sam's been showing us this season. And being purely literal, there's no nuance. He takes everything at face value and weirdly assumes those he should trust are always honest. It's why he can call a liar in last week's episode and be so brutally honest and hurtful. But then this week, never questioned Samuel once. Like Samuel says, this is the plan. Must be true. He's my grandfather. Grandpa would never lie to me because that's what grandfathers don't do. They don't lie. Done. End of story. Fact. Because there's a few times where Sam is asked, like, don't you think that's weird? Or can't you see how shady this is? And he's like, nah, I didn't really think about it. You know, like completely unbothered. Like, no thoughts, just vibes kind of thing. Like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yes. At the same time, we've also seen him, like, since the beginning of the season, and particularly, like, in the last couple of episodes, he's just, like, so good at pattern recognition and, like, reading people's body language, right? So we've harped on it a lot, but, like, he does it to the older sister and you can't handle the truth. And then he does it again in this episode when he tells Samuel, you're Crowley's bitch. So there's something really interesting here about how... He can recognize patterns and read people, but he has no, like, internal sense of right and wrong. We're going to see more of that in future episodes, so I won't go into it too, too much yet. It's a dynamic I'm intrigued to see, because it really is giving Sam a new narrative. There's parts of me that just want to see soulless Sam's narrative, however that turns into, I'm hoping, OG Sam at some point, although I am liking soulless Sam a bit more now, and I'm curious to see how that plays out. But I'm also curious to know how much of Solus Sam's evolution as a character will continue to be carried on when he does get his soul back, I presume. I think what you said about trying to complete a puzzle, you know, putting his soul back together is going to be kind of like completing a puzzle. I think that that's like a really interesting way to look at it. And so... It gives me hope that this isn't going to be one of those weird things where we're going to like lose Solus Sam and it will be like none of this ever happened. There will be a learning curve from it of some sort. So I think this entire thing shows us that so much of trust comes from pre-existing relationships. I think that's what really like Sam's message is this week. He trusts Samuel implicitly because family, but questions a stranger's motives every time. Like I think every single person they've interviewed or met or spoken to outside of that literal family bubble, the Campbells, he has shown some level of mistrust or like being a little bit blunt with them. And it's because he sees everything as so binary He's also viewing the world through the lens that he feels is right. I, I feel like I'm having a weird way of explaining this. I want to say, like, there's the things you're taught from experience and the things that you learn from experience. So trusting family, like the things you were told growing up that are like instilled in you are they're your family. You can trust them seem to be sticking with him in some sense, like they're instinctual, which is why he trusts everyone there. Versus learning to trust people, learning to have a conversation, learning to exist in the world as a human seem to be things that were part of a soul that are now missing, which is why he has like no tact when it comes to strangers and no questions when it comes to family. 
That's a really interesting way to look at it. I think I see it a little bit differently, but I, I, I like it. Because the way that I saw it, because keep in mind that Sam has been hunting with Samuel for about a year. So he's had time to like learn his patterns and to see when he's being truthful and when he's not. And I think the way that I sort of try to explain this to myself, because like the thing is, I feel like if we tug too much at it, it's not going to make sense anymore because this is already kind of a shaky situation that's going on. Yeah, exactly. I see Sam as not having loyalty right now. He will go to the highest bidder, to the person who will help him achieve his goals most or the fastest. At one point, that was Samuel. Eventually, he realized that that would be Dean. That, I, I think that that's really the only reason why he's like sticking with Dean at the moment. At the time, it didn't really matter that Samuel was lying to Dean because Samuel was still useful to Sam. It is so twisted and dark, but I fucking love it. But that's the thing. Keep in mind, this is somebody with no sense of right or wrong. And so like, and he was willing to have Dean turned into a vampire just to be able to find the alpha, right? Like, so, so we're not talking about somebody with very high moral standards. Please, listeners, understand that I'm not talking about Sam. I'm talking about soulless Sam. You know, I love my tallest bean. But... Yeah, I think that that's kind of always how I saw it. I think it's really evident, especially looking back on the episode. And I want to focus on the moment where he turns on Samuel and like basically questions him and then like puts on the GPS in his phone. The fact that it's done with virtually like the, the amount of convincing it requires to do it is virtually none from what we can tell. It's literally just like cold calculation time, Sola, Sam. You want achieve goal achieve goal is better with dean right now instead of samuel flip the alliance because benefits you even dean remarks on it he's like you know i wasn't too sure you were co- you were going to come back i figured 60 40 kind of thing you know like he knows that he doesn't have like his brother's loyalty he has he is literally stuck with the soulless guy we keep talking about this like binary of like everything is like yes or no with Sam without a soul. And then Dean is still like, mm, things are up in the air. Flip a coin, 60, 40. I don't know. He's, he's not sure of it. Like even when he's like banking on it, he's like, he's probably going to fail. <laughs> he's skeptical of his own brother being cold and calculated when he needs him to be. <laughs> he's skeptical that his brother will come back to him. He's skeptical that he is, his, that he will be chosen by his brother. That's that's where the skepticism is. But that's my whole thing. Is I feel like that's the one thing he's never really skeptical about this episode is himself. So I don't want it to come across as me saying I think Dean doubted that his plan would work. I think he doubted that Sam would come through to his plan. Absolutely. 100%. Yes, I agree. So I'd like to talk a little bit about Samuel. Because he's shown being very skeptical of both Sam and Dean in very different ways. And I think that for Sam, it's like pretty evident that he's scared of what Sam would do if Sam's not quote unquote supervised. I have to talk about the end of the episode when like Samuel tells Sam and Dean like, so the way I see it, you got two choices, put a bullet in your grandfather or step aside. And Sam immediately cocks his gun. It's like, it's not, I don't think it was meant to be funny, but it was really funny. But there you go. Like, I know that this is actually supposed to be a really dramatic scene because like they even have like the really sad Winchester music playing. But every time I see it, like I laugh 
and and I laugh a little harder because like Sam is just like ready to shoot him and Dean has to go like no you know like he has to lower like Sam's gun and I'm not sure why I think it's so funny but I really do like the the drama of the moment and the tension of it just doesn't land for me it does show that Samuel is entirely right not to trust Sam Well, we said before, Sam is working in a very binary mindset of good versus evil. Samuel was good and could be trusted. Now he cannot. And when given the binary choice, he goes for the one that he would choose with any other air quotes bad guy. He is just like there's again, there's no nuance. There's no gray area. There is literally just this is a person who's working against us actively and is working for demons. Demons are bad. We kill bad people. I have a gun. He said, shoot me. Where is where is the flaw in my logic? And it takes Dean having a soul and the ability to be nuanced about this and tell him, no, let's not kill our grandfather. He's not actively hurting us. Well, he is. But, you know, again, like Dean is ready to make all of these allowances in the name of family. Again, like I just prediction quickly. I feel like this is going to set up Samuel for a real good redemption arc and salvation moment and like. There's clearly more to Crowley's whole thing and like the reason he chose Samuel and there's probably some sort of really easy answer as to why he's doing this for Crowley. Cough, marry, soul or some bullshit and is acting out of a need to help despite going against his morals. It'll all get worked out in the end and he'll probably be a self-sacrifice or something. But I'm just I'm excited to see where it goes, even if I'm really obvious prediction. So self-sacrifice is the Winchester way. So I guess that we'll find out if it is the Campbell way as well. Oh, interesting. True. I I mean, Mary self-sacrificed. So we'll see. We'll see if it goes like further up the, the lineage. Uh, for Dean, I think that Samuel's skepticism of him is a little bit more insidious than that. Because we know from previous episodes that Samuel did not like John, right? We know that Mary wanted to marry John, at least in part because it would specifically piss off her dad, right? Let's keep that in mind. And we also know that in uh, Live Free or Twy Hard, when Samuel and Sam walk into the building and they see like all the slaughtered vampires, Samuel goes, looks like your brother has some Campbell in him after all. Which means that like until now, he saw Dean as a Winchester, like as his father's son. And so again, we have a character. And in this case, like this is a blood relative of Dean who is like, metaphorically putting the sins of the father onto the son. And um, like, he basically is like, well, he reminds me of John, so I don't trust him. So it makes me very curious to know, like, how did Samuel see Sam, like in this kind of like, again, going to binaries here, the binary of Winchester versus Campbell. And from my understanding, Samuel's awareness that Sam had no soul, did that, make him more of a Campbell in some way? And does that raise a lot of questions about the Campbell way? So I'm just going to read like that part of the transcript. And I think that again, like interpretation is, is perfectly fine, uh, but I really never saw it that way. So like, uh, so Dean goes, yeah, well, the game's over Crowley. Yeah. Well, afraid not, not if you want to see Sam's soul ever again, Sam, you're bluffing Crowley. Tell them Samuel, Samuel, he pulled us both back me and Sam. What you knew, says Sam. And, and the way that I like always understood those lines was that they knew or Samuel knew that Crowley was the one who pulled both of them back. 
to Earth. But I'm not sure that Samuel knew about the no soul thing. I can see now why you would say that. And I think it might just be something in the acting, maybe, maybe in, in the reaction to it. Because I think finding out the person you've been working with this whole time having no soul would probably shake you a bit more. Like, I know he figured they reveal it to him already. But, like, I don't know. It just, it, it to me, kind of read like Crowley was very upfront with Samuel about what the plan was. And the Sam having no soul was kind of regular information. It wasn't like a secret. I can, again, I can see it both ways. But it now, so now it raises my question even further. Does Samuel consider Sam more of a Campbell or a Winchester? And does the soullessness play into that at all, whether he knew or not? Now I know why I read it this way. We may have an answer later. <laughs> Moving on, though, it, it, it's no surprise Samuel does see John as weaker and lesser. Uh, clearly, he was not a fan. Uh, and this is established very clearly in the episodes we have them together. He transposes those feelings onto Dean, as you said, the sins of the father onto the son. And despite knowing, again, despite what we now know about Sam's condition, he still chooses to trust Sam more than Dean, I feel, even after they even after we have no doubt, like they did the soul check on him and explained the whole soul thing. Which is so weird in contrast to Sam's lack of skepticism in his family like context now having no soul doesn't seem to affect Samuel as much as I think it should have. It's still very like we trust family and Sam is family. I again will remind you that they've been hunting together for over a year. And so you, you literally, that's the, one of the first things you said when we started recording this episode is that like, like trust comes with strong relationships and they've had a year. And, and Samuel even says it at one point during the episode. Like, I, he says to Dean, I don't know you like I know Sam. Right? Like, there's this, this thing where, like, they don't know each other's motivations and, and everything like that. And so I think that that has a lot more to do than the soul or no soul thing. Because, again, I'm not sure that that's really what's going on. Yeah, and I can also, you know what, I think now that you brought it up too, it's the fact that he's had no soul this whole time. Samuel doesn't really know sold Sam. So he thinks this is just a Sam always is, which is really weird. And also, like, remember that in previous episodes, like, he clearly says, like, sometimes I wonder about you, Sam. You know, like, if you know that the guy has no soul, like, you're not going to draw attention to it. You're going to try, if you're trying to hide it from him, you're going to, like, try to avoid the topic as much as you can. So that's why I'm saying, like, I don't think this has anything to do with Samuel knowing that Sam doesn't have a soul. Like, I think that it has to do more with, like, the fact that they have been hunting together for over a year and that Sam is incredibly dedicated to Samuel's mission. And so, like, right there, when you have somebody who is, like, so willing and efficient at helping you, like, of course, you're going to trust them a lot. And then when somebody is like, oh, I don't know if what you're doing is right. I doubt every mo every move that you make, blah, 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 blah. Like, you're not going to trust them as much, you know? It's also easy to surround yourself with yes people. So if you have somebody who's like blatantly following you along and agreeing with all your moves, even if they're not the best moves, you're bound to be a little more happy with them. The yes man phenomena. Uh, but I... I <laughs> Look at the way that Samuel leads his like clan, right? Or like his his people, his hunting group. <laughs> like, 
it's it's I don't think there's a lot of room for leadership from outside of Samuel. Also, I can just imagine Samuel like leaving that encounter after having a gun pointed at him and like in his truck upset about this whole thing. And then the realization of like, oh, that's why baby soup didn't bother him as much as it should have. Exactly. This episode was written by Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin, directed by Guy B, who also directed Asylum in season one and is going to direct some episodes up until season 10. And it originally aired on November 5th, 2010. You know what? I, I think I said it last time we had a Dab Laughlin co-writing episode. I was a lot more impressed with what they had done. They're getting, they're growing on me. I, I think they've stopped trying to shoehorn in weird like messages that aren't really theirs to talk about or like trying to shoehorn like too many like you know too many things into an episode and just letting the episode write a little bit more like cleanly that they're doing good i'm happy with them <laughs> i'm excited to see more of their stuff now and guy b i mean asylum gave me one of my most hated season one characters but otherwise good work i love that episode besides that one character what are the characters in the hunter's journal this week i've been sitting here for two days this tent will be my grave if I don't do something soon. I am so bored. I hate stakeouts. Like, they were more fun when I didn't go alone. Those often had their own issues. Story for another time, maybe. I'm truly beginning to think this whole case is a wild goose chase. Who writes these damned books anyways? Some flowery language monk from the 1400s convinced he actually saw a monster and not just hallucinating from 30 days of not having eaten real food? No, I'm supposed to believe it because someone else tells me, yeah, it's totally true, it worked for me. We're on day eight now. I can smell every inch of this tent filling with my days of unshowering body. I'm really glad now this is a solo hunt. I feel a very sudden and self-realized irony in bitching about old texts. Sure, they may be out of date, but some will come in handy. And hell, aren't I just a dumb monk myself, writing this journal in hopes that someday, years from now, an equally angry, punk-ass hunter would be sitting in a tent, staring into a circle of trees in the woods, waiting for a goddamn goblin who stole his bloody car keys to reappear so he can get his car back and go somewhere with a really good shower and think about how much fun it was to wring the neck of that stupid goblin. Thank you, True. And yourself, what thoughts do you have to share with us this week? I have a little bit of meta this week. I was thinking about the title of the this episode, which is Family Matters. And I think that it's, you know, I don't want to say obviously... Uh, but I I think it's likely a reference to the sitcom that aired from 1989 to 1998 with Steve Urkel. But I, I, I would like to put that aside for a little bit and focus on the word family, because we see all kinds of family in this episode. We see blood family, blood family that can be trusted and blood family that can't be trusted, especially in like the Sam, Dean and Samuel relationship, but also a little bit with Gwen and Christian. We also see chosen family when Cass shows up to help Sam and Dean. But I think there's also a lot to talk about with regards to like a different kind of family, vampires and monsters specifically. We learned previously this season that all monsters originate from the first of their kind, their alpha, right? And that it's it's no different for vampires. 
All vampires are basically in the lineage of the alpha vampire. We also find out in this episode that the alphas also have a mother. But what stood out to me in this episode is the moment when Dean meets the alpha vamp. Because he tells, he calls Dean, Dean. And Dean replies that he didn't know that they were on a first name basis. And the alpha vampire replies, of course we are. After all, you were my child for a time. And I think that this is so important because we're seeing a direct point of connection and dare I say lineage between Dean and vampires that's acknowledged by his quote unquote father. And we've talked about vampires at length just a few episodes ago, so I won't go into that again. But I think it continues to like confirm and strengthen Dean's association with vampires on this show. Now they're family. And, like, somehow a combination of Chosen and Blood Family, for obvious reasons. I know, Drew! That's the beautiful <laughs> part about it! <laughs> oh, my God. This poor guy, if he didn't have daddy issues now, Jesus. This week, we have a message from Destiny. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us that recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, what did Dean mean when he said, he's not dad, about Samuel? For our Roadhouse supporters, Honor and Palette Talk. Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. So Destiny sent us an email that I am going to be reading to you. In Family Remains, you both talk about Dean and Sam having an out-of-syncness, and the reason I feel this is because Sam is now in sync with Ruby. He knows her moves and thinks about it instead of anticipating Dean's moves. And I think it also ties on a deeper level into what you said the other day about how Dean feels guilty over not saving people, even if he couldn't have possibly done anything, whereas Sam doesn't. Sam sees it as they tried their best with their knowledge. And in this context, I believe it's Sam seeing Dean's time off the rack as something he couldn't control, thus something he shouldn't feel bad about and move past. Whereas, like with the witnesses, Dean cannot move past it and takes the blame for all their pain. My favorite thing about Dean is if the situations were reversed, he would tell Sam he couldn't change anything and to forgive himself, yet he cannot do that for himself because he doesn't believe that he deserves it. Another point Marie brought up is that Sam saying that the people in the walls are barely human. I don't think it comes out of nowhere or just narratively used. Ever since season three, a little in the previous seasons, but mostly three and four, we have seen Sam condemn the monsters and go after people. I think seeing Dean die all those times in Mystery Spot really got to him. Not just the ending and how he spent months without Dean, but every death was caused by a human mistake. A gunshot, a car accident, a mugging, a piano, and more. That's what ended up taking away his brother, and in later episodes, we see him be more critical of humans being in the way or doing bad things. The more time away from his brother, who we've seen help him be a moral compass whenever Sam goes a little darker or out of control, let him start acting negatively and start seeing things the way Ruby does, such as the ends justify the means. An example of this is when he was willing to consider using Nancy as a sacrifice, whereas Dean and Victor immediately said no. And now even though he knows it's bad, he uses his demon powers because to him, the ends are justifying how he's doing it. Side note, which is funny because the original reason he did this is to get Lilith not to save people. At least in my opinion, I haven't seen the rest of the show and only saw up to the ending of season four. Sorry if this didn't make sense. It made a lot of sense in my head when I was thinking it. So glad to have found your podcast and listened to both your fun lore segments and deep analysis. Well, thank you, Destiny. 
I really enjoyed this subject and I look back on this episode and Mary, our discussion of it very fondly because I think it was a really, I don't think fun is the right word, but very intellectually stig, um, stim, stimulating conversation. It really, it got our brains going and kind of looking at the actions and the way characters are developed. And I think it was really the first time that we started to see I, I think I brought up the, the being out of sync thing, but it was the first time they really stopped being a unit to me and made them much more human, despite the blood drinking and demon magic powers. And I, I've said it before. I think the effects of mystery spot on Sam are something that are not forgotten. And I think even looking at soul as Sam today, it's almost like that's what he was back then, too. Destiny, thank you so much for this lovely email. It was really, it was really nice to, to read. I was going to say to listen to, but to read. It was really nice to read. First off, thank you for sending us an email about family remains that we are now reading on an episode called Family Matters, which again, I swear I'm not planning. This is just happening. But I, I completely agree with you. Like we're seeing the 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 break apart or the tearing apart of this unit and I think that what creates that, or at least in part, is like both of these men's trauma, right? Because in that episode, I particularly remember, you know, Dean talking about how he always smells a bad smell, right? Or like we talked about that. Uh, So his time in hell is still so present for him. And for Sam, I think, Destiny, you're entirely right. The, The trauma that he endured by watching Dean die over and over and over again in in Mystery Spot is still very present. Because neither of them is able, and, and I'm not saying that they should be able because it's easy, right? Like I'm just saying that in the situation, because neither of them has been able to process this trauma, like they're pulling away from each other. And, and Sam has found some comfort uh, through Ruby. Dean has found some comfort through Cass. And, and and that leads ultimately to, to what happens at the end of season four in, in Sam choosing Ruby and, and Dean choosing Cass, or at least Cass choosing Dean and Dean, you know, trying to figure out what to do. It feels like an overcorrection. It feels like the two of them got to a realization that they couldn't be as codependent as they once were and it was bad for them. And then they overcorrected by going as far from the other as they could into the arms of their respected lovers. I think we're seeing something in Sam now, which is that kind of, I mean, soul of Sam is very cold and calculated, but I think we've always sort of had, not in a negative way, but Sam has been very, the word is escaping me, but just very like to the point of things. Uh, And like Destiny, you point out in your email, Sam looks at Dean and like dealing with what he did in hell and can rationalize the like you did a thing because you had to. You're now past that thing. Everything's okay now. And ignoring the insane amount of trauma that puts on you because mathematically it doesn't exist. And I don't think it's a cold miscalculation. It's just trying to rationalize something in his own head that for him works because he wasn't there for it. I think that destiny is also like right when they say that, you know, if the roles were reversed, Dean would tell Sam that like 
there's nothing he can do about it. But, and I think that the, the, they do that all the time, right? When one of them fucks up, like the other is like, oh, there, you know, you did what you could with, with the information you had at the time. The only time that we truly see any kind of, of real repercussions for bad choices is at the beginning of season five, where Dean basically is like, I can't hunt with you right now because this is just not working. Apart from that, like, they're always trying to reassure the other and they hold each other to different standards than they hold themselves. You know, they can forgive the other one, but not themselves. Reflection and call to action. You know, I didn't really. The, the episodes like this where they get too heavy in the like, let's advance the plot. I find it really hard to connect sometimes. So I'm kind of picking at straws here, but the one that really came to mind is just a reminder to myself to really consider everything, even the things I cannot know before making a judgment. Um, I think we've all heard that expression, or if not, I'm teaching it now, uh, that you're seeing just the tip of the iceberg. It's just that, you know, like an iceberg, so much of it has been below the water, you're only seeing a bit of it. So someone... I mean, like how many stories have been written about like, oh, so-and-so is so mean. And then we find out all of the reasons they are mean. I think we even got a good example of it in the episode when they have the uh, flashbacks to school and it's the the ghost of the bully. And we find out he was a bully because his mother was dying and he was getting bullied and he was just looking for an outlet. That doesn't excuse it, but it at least explains more of the story. So my call to action is to remember before jumping to conclusions, whether it be with people or scenarios, I can't know everything that I have to sort of go in with a grain of salt of I can't know everything all the time. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And you, what would you have as a call to action this week? Well, this episode makes me feel called to remember that we all make decisions based on incomplete stories or incomplete facts. Like, Thinking about the whole, we can't know everything, how do we know for sure, attitude of skepticism. And so we might make wrong decisions sometimes. If we had based that decision in the information that we had at the moment, I think we can say that we did as much as we could. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our bunker supporters, Katira L. and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Destiny for their message. You can find the link to all our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us, please. And if you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. I was literally about to ask you if you took the the spirit cat or the cat spirit with you when you moved. And like... At the moment when I'm about to ask about the cat spirit, all I see are two ears, and I'm like, <gasps> So far, I mean, knock on wood, knock, 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 new house seems fairly spirit-free for the time being. That's great. Love it. Love that for you. Know, you. That scene, the, the, the scene in every horror movie where the character announces, everything's fine, and then the narrator goes, it wasn't fine. <laughs>